Father, thank you, God, for what you have done in this time of worship. God, the fact that you have stirred hearts. God, you have brought restoration to people already. God, people's hearts have been moved to you. And because they've taken a step towards you, God, you've gotten close to them. Lord, I just pray right now as we look at your word, God, I pray that we would continue to take steps of obedience towards you. God, so we would draw close to you. And God, we know that you're right there within arm's reach. If we will reach out to you, God, but it's so difficult sometimes. You know how hard it is for us to reach out to you. I pray that you give us the strength to do that. Lord, you speak to us and you convict our hearts and you show us what we need to do. And God, I pray that we would have strength to be obedient to you, God, and we would respond the way you would have us to respond. Father, we desperately need your, your strength. We desperately need you and your touch. And God, we can't do it on our own. And we just trust you and we give you praise and glory. God, for what you've already done, but what you're going to do in our hearts and in our lives through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you so much for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've been in a series called Saved Alone. And this series kind of started a different way, and then it kind of manifested itself into God just kind of leading us down this path to talk about Jonah. Uh, which has been pretty cool. You think about a dude that was alone, or felt alone anyway. You think about Jonah. Everybody's heard the story of Jonah ever since you were five years old. And if you've ever been in a Sunday school class, you've heard about Jonah being swallowed up by the great fish and being spit out because he wouldn't go to Nineveh. He went to try to go to Tarshish instead. And he tried to run from God, wasn't obedient to God. So God chewed him up and spit him out, right? So, I mean, we've all heard that story like a million times. And, and, and we've heard about Jonah and, and, and feeling alone. And, and if you're a Christian... And if you're not a Christian, too, this applies to everybody. But I want you to know that Christians aren't exempt from this. There are going to be times when you feel alone. You're going to feel isolated. You're going to feel like, man, I am the only one in the world that's enduring this. I'm the only one that's at this particular place. I am the only one. I am completely alone. What's so amazing to me is that people suffer from loneliness in this. I mean, in the United States of America, we got people that suffer from loneliness, right? I mean, if you are lonely, you can go down to Walmart and you will see 50 gazillion people there, right? I mean, like, you do not have to feel lonely in this, in this United States of America. There is some place you can go and, and be around a ton of people. But you know what? There are a ton of lonely people walking around. Even in Walmart, there's a ton of lonely people walking around. Am I right? I mean, you know that. You've seen them. You've, you've been in that lonely place and you've walked around Walmart before and, and you felt all alone. I want you to, to recognize something today. Hopefully I can, I can get out of my mouth what I have in my heart and what God has laid on my heart. And that is that sometimes that isolation feeling, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes feeling alone is actually a good thing. Everybody's like, oh, what? Huh? What are you talking about? Think about this. So when, I, when I think about isolation, I could not help but to think about prisons, right? Like I could not help but to think about People that, that are, it, it kind of freaks me out to think about it a little bit. I'm not claustrophobic, but I don't like the idea of being in prison, okay? So uh, when I think about those little bitty cells where they don't have any interaction with people and they got this little slit where they slide food through, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like the idea of that freaks me out. I mean, that, that's why I'm afraid to do anything bad because I can't go and be in one of those. I will lose my mind in one of those. There's, there's no wonder why those guys come out. They're all ripped up because, man, I would be doing push-ups like crazy. I would exhaust myself doing push-ups. But anyway, so the idea of that, that isolation, being in isolation, that is crazy to me. I, I don't know if I could handle that. But I will say this, though. There are a lot of people 
I mean, a whole lot of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ once they're in prison. Am I right? What is that all about? What, what is, why? What, Kenny, what is that all about? This is the other thing that I've seen. So they're, they're tied together, so hang with me. I'm going to tell you what it's all about in a minute. This is the other thing I see. You take a bunch of students, 15, 16, 17 year, years old. You take them, and, and they come to, to church with their friends on a Sunday morning, and God is speaking to them the same exact way that he always speaks to them, right? But they're, they're with their friends, and they've got their phones, and, and, you know, it's still buzzing from Snapchat, and, like, friends are talking to them or whatever, and, you know, because their friends are in church, too, and they're talking to them on Snapchat, too, and, you know, they're trying to take a picture down here and all that kind of stuff, you know. That's what's going on, right? But then you take that same 15, 16, 17-year-old kid and you take them away to the beach, you take them away to the mountains, maybe you go to Gatlinburg or Panama City, and, and you just talk to them about Jesus, and they kind of get away from a lot of that stuff. Yeah, they still got Snapchat. Yeah, they still got their phones. But something about getting them out of their place of comfort and taking them to a place where they're, they're kind of just all alone with God, something about that draws them to God, and they surrender their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I've seen it a million times. As a youth pastor, as a college pastor, something about just taking people away, and, and we call it a retreat, right? That's what we like to call it. We call it a retreat. And we do this with adults sometimes too. We take them away and we have a retreat and all of a sudden they're able to tune into God in a way that they never were before. I believe there is something special about that isolation place where we get away from all the voices from the outside world, where we kind of step away for just a minute and we're, it, it kind of, it's a lonely feeling, but it gives us a chance to tune into God. So if you are in a place where you feel like you're all alone right now, if you're in a place of isolation, maybe it's because of a relationship in your life, maybe you've got a, a child that is going their own way and you don't know where they're at or what they're doing and, and it bothers you and you feel like, I'm all alone in this situation. If you feel brokenhearted because, because you've got you know, cancer or some illness in your life or a loved one you got has, has got something like that and you feel like you're all alone in that, I don't want you to miss the fact that in that lonely place that you feel like you're in, God is actually speaking, and he's speaking loud and clear, and you have the unique opportunity in that situation to tune in to God like you can't any other time. I want you to recognize there is a special, unique opportunity to listen to God when you're in that place of isolation. And that's what we see in Jonah. That's what we see in Jonah. Well, let me refresh your memory about Jonah. God tells Jonah, go and, and, and preach repentance to the Assyrians. Nineveh is like the heart and soul of the Assyrian you know, nation. And he's like, go and preach repentance to them. Tell them that, that, you know, if they don't change from their ways, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to take them out and wipe them off the face of the planet. And Jonah, he's like, I don't like the Assyrians. You know why? Because they're mean. They're nasty. They kill people. They cut them up. They chop them up. Uh, they're not good people. Why would I want to preach repentance to a bunch of people who, first of all, if I do that, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to some Israelite that goes over to them and tells them that they need to repent and turn towards my God. They're not going to listen to me. And, and if I do, and if I do, what's going to happen? You being the great and merciful God that you are, I know what's going to happen. You're going to forgive them. They're going to repent. You're going to forgive them. And all of a sudden, my enemies are going to be doing all right. I would much rather you destroy them. So what I'm going to do in disobedience to God, I'm getting on a boat, uh, not real smart. Disobey God. I'm going to run from God. Let me get on a boat, right? I told you that. Jonah must have not had any friends, right? Because if he had friends, somebody would go, hey, dude, wait a second. 
You're going to run from God, and you're going to get on a boat, right? Oh, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, I think you should do that. Or maybe he had very godly friends, and they were just wanting God to have to deal with him, you know, to, to stir up his heart. So they were like, oh, yeah, go get on a boat, Jonah. That's where you need to go. Yeah, because the God of the universe, he has no control over the winds and the waves and the seas or any of that kind of stuff. You need to go get on a boat, man. So anyway, uh, Jonah's, you know, he, he, he's dumb, and he gets on a boat, tries to run away from God, and he goes, he goes away. He's, he's going to Tarshish. He's trying to go away from where God's trying to send him. Well, what happens? Well, we, we talked about it, that, that the, the waves start crashing. Just, uh, we all expected that, right? So the waves come and the winds come and terrible storms are beating up against the boat. And Jonah's asleep in the belly of the ship and all this kind of stuff. And, and they go and wake him up. It's like, man, we're going to die. Who are you? What are you all about? Why? It's all this coming again. It must have something to do with you because they, they casted lots and they found out that the lots fell on him. And so they were like rolling dice or pitching quarters. I don't know what they were doing. But anyway, so they were like, it turned out that it was Jonah was the reason. They were like, who are you, man? What God do you serve? And he says, he finally breaks down and, and says, you know, it's me, man. I'm running away from God. It's my fault. The, I'm the reason that you're, uh, you're suffering all of this. I mean, they've been like throwing stuff overboard, trying to lighten the ship, as a matter of fact, to try to keep the boat afloat, right? And, and, and finally it lands on him. So <laughs> I love this. So they're about to die. All these sailors are like, pray out to your God, man. See if he can fix it, you know. And eventually, they even start praying out to Jonah's God. They, they, they start crying out to him and talking to Jonah's God. And what does Jonah do? Well, he crawls up on the top of the ship and gets down on his face before God. And he says, Lord, I repent. Please forgive me. I am going to Nineveh. And I want you uh, to use me for your glory. And I want you to use me for your honor. No, that's not what happened. Everybody's like, man, you changed the story. That is not what happened. You would think, you would think that when they were on the verge of death, that Jonah would go, you know what? I need to turn back to God. And you know what Jonah says in complete disobedience to God? He says, instead of being obedient to God, I'd rather be dead. You guys throw me over the ship. That's how desperately he didn't want to obey God. As he said, I'd rather die than obey God. That's literally what he said. Am I right? Did you read the story? That's what it says. Like, like I would rather you throw me over the side and for me to die than you guys be okay than for me to obey, obey God. Because, I mean, the option was there. He could have just said, God, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm going back. I'll find my way to Nineveh. I'll do whatever you command. Now he says, I'd rather die. Throw me over the side. We think our level of disobedience to God is pretty bad. I think that dude had a pretty, pretty deep level of disobedience to God. He said, I'd rather be dead. So they throw him over the ship. What does God do? What does God do? He's going to drown. I mean, he can't survive out there in the water on his own, so God rescues him. God shows Jonah grace. Jonah, he, he's, he's a racist and he, he's disobedient. And, and he hates people, and, and God shows him grace anyway. God shows him grace anyway, and he, he's going to die, so God sends a great fish to swallow him up. And, and we see Jonah in a place of isolation in chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be. I want you to, to think about your place of isolation as you think about Jonah today, and you think about chapter 2 today, and you think about the prayer that Jonah prays to God as he's in this place of isolation. As he's in this lonely place. Think about the prison that you're in. Think about the, the, the place where you feel like, man, I am all alone in this situation. I, I Just think about the place that you're in as you hear 
what Jonah prays out to God. We'll be in Jonah chapter 2 today. If you back up just a few verses, I'll read that. Just to end. Now, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah's inside the fish. And, and I told you last week at the end of the service that, that, yeah, God created the winds and the rains and the storms and all that to shake them up. But God also created the fish to rescue Jonah. It was his purpose, it was his plan to go and rescue Jonah because of his grace he had on Jonah. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to his Lord, his God, from inside the fish. So here he is inside a fish praying. You say, Kenny, was he really inside a fish praying? It said, Then Jonah prayed to his Lord God from inside the fish. You know why I think it was Jonah was actually inside a fish praying to God because it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. That's why I believe that. Questions? Okay. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, you, I, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. You, Lord, you have driven me from your presence. I feel alone. I feel like I'm the only one. I, I, I feel like because of my disobedience, I feel like I'm the only one. Now, let me tell you something. There are times when you will feel like you're alone because of what you have done, but there will be times when you feel like you're all alone and you're in isolation as a result of nothing you have done. Both of those situations are true, but both of the situations give us an opportunity to hear from God. If we're in that place, then we have an opportunity to cry out to God and, as Jonah did, turn back towards your holy temple recognizing who you are and the fact that you are the one true God who hears me when I cry out to you. This is my chance to call out to God. What is so devastating is people in, in their place of isolation, in, in their desperation, not crying out to God. Not crying out to Him. Not falling into His arms. I, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they can stand to go anywhere else or to not go to God. I don't get it. Because the only place I can go when I, when I feel alone and in desperate need of God is to God. There's no other place I can go. I can't give myself hope or, or, or peace or any of those. God is the only source. And you see people going everywhere, taking pills, doing drugs, like drinking their, their selves out of their, their minds just so they don't have to deal with what's going on. Now I'm like... Does that resolve anything? Do you get peace from that? Because eventually you sober up, man. Eventually the world's going to slap you in the face again and you're going to feel all alone again. Is that going to be the solution? We're just going to keep doing this pattern over and over and over again, trying to hide, trying to run away? I wonder, man. I wonder. I wonder if Jonah would have just kept trying to run away trying to run away. He kept trying to run away. But all we know is he didn't. He says, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. He says, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth 
whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you. In your holy temple, those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. You realize that there, there are going to be times in your life when you feel alone, but do you realize that that gives you a great opportunity to cry out to God, to hear from God, to connect with God in a way that you haven't before? Let me tell you something about my life. So really, I, I, was, you know, I, I got saved and, and I was a follower of Christ at nine years old, but I, I really I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't obedient to God. One of the ways I wasn't obedient to God was the fact that I didn't get baptized until I was 21 years old and and I, I really hate that fact, right? But I, I was disobedient to God in a lot of ways. And one of the ways, as I got older in life, you know, I started to be consumed with things in life. You know, you want a bigger, car, a bigger house and a nicer car and all that kind of garbage, you know. And you get wrapped up in that stuff, right? You're keeping up with the Joneses. You get a, a better job making more money. You want a bigger house and all that kind of crap. And, and I got wrapped up in that just like anybody else. And I was inconsistent in my church attendance. That's just me telling you the, the truth. I, I really was. I, I was about a once every other church service kind of guy. I about once every two weeks, maybe once a month kind of thing. But the whole time, God had been speaking to me about the fact that, that, you know, for one, he had greater plans for me and a greater desire for me to be obedient to him. But I wasn't really listening to that. I was kind of consumed with myself and what I wanted to do. And, 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 you know, I had a family, and things were going great, and, you know, things were going all right, and, and, and we built a house. You know, we said we, one of the things we wanted to do, you know, was to build a house. We thought that that would be a great thing to do. I was going to subcontract out everything myself, and, and I was going to oversee stuff, and I didn't know Jack about building a house, so that was going to be a neat trick, right? So anyway, so we decided that that's what we were going to do. Well, it, it, as time goes on, man, it's like the draw, the, something about house plans that when you, you look at them, you go, man, I think we need a bigger closet right there. I think we need a bigger closet over here. If, that, if we got two big closets, then the third bedroom's got to have a big closet too, right? And you know what would be awesome to have is a walkout basement. You know what would be even better than that is a real big kitchen. So we can have an island and people can sit around the island because we, we write it off as that's what we need in order to be able to connect as families. We need to have a big island. That way we can all sit around and we... We're gonna, the kid's going to sit at the, the island and do homework while, while, while mom and daddy are cooking dinner and, and all that kind of stuff. The reality is, you know, you're going out to China Look for dinner instead. Kids are doing homework at 10 p.m. because they've been running from practice to practice, and that's reality, right? But we tell ourselves, we need a big island, you know, we need a big kitchen and all this. I got wrapped up into that. And, and, and as, I, as I looked around at my house later on, as God started to move me in a different direction, and I started to, to, I mean, I just really wanted to be close to God and to be obedient to God. And, and as those things started to happen, I just looked around, and I go, this house. Man, I don't need this house. This is not what we need. This is not beneficial. I mean, it's true. That's, I'm just being completely transparent with you about what an idiot I was. 
And we built this house, and, and, and we had two kids. Well, the problem is that, that after the house got completed, three months later, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer. Fifteen months after that, she died, and now we, we only got one kid. So it's us and, and our daughter in, in this house, and I'm looking around, and I said, God has allowed me. He has allowed me to build my own prison. I did this out of my selfish desires, and here I am. I'm sitting around looking at it and going, I wish I could sell it. I wish I could, I wish I could just get rid of it. I wish we could go find another place, something smaller, something that I, 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 want, I want to be humble in the world. I don't want people to look at a big house or any of that kind of stuff. Well, God hasn't allowed us to sell that house. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, God has allowed me to sit in my own prison is what he's done. I, 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 my heart is changed. I, have not, I don't have a desire for it, but God, he won't allow us to sell it, so it just sits there. I mean, we've tried. we tried for sale by owner. We've tried two or three different realtors. It hasn't happened. Finally, we just gave up, and we said, God, if it's your will for us to stay here, fine, we'll stay here. And I was looking at that, and I was going, man, is this my prison? Is this one of my prisons? And I really felt like God spoke to me. He said, what has happened as a result of that prison that you have built? And I said, well, I guess I think more about you and what I really need. I think more about what you have provided and the fact that you're a giver of all good things. And I guess this house makes me think about you. Aha. Aha. I recognize, God, what I really need. And it's, it's got nothing to do with this house. He goes, aha. I think about the fact that, that all I really need is you. And it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care where I live. And Aha. I wonder if Jonah had a similar aha moment inside that fish. This fish, though I have been swallowed up by it, has done nothing but make me think about God. This prison cell that I am in has done nothing but open my eyes to the fact that God is good. And every single thing around of me allows me to think about Him. And because of that, God is good. That you have a great, unique opportunity to think about God in your place of isolation, your place of desperation. You have this unique opportunity, and you don't need to miss that. You know what you need to do? You need to do what Jonah did. Recognize who God was and the fact that, that He had saved him. He had saved him. That, that's what God used the fish for, to save Jonah. That, that, that's, that, you realize that that's what the grave represents? Do you realize that for Jesus Christ, that tomb? And we always talk about the empty tomb, Right? We always talk about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is a wonderful thing. And that is what we the foundation of our belief in, in, in Christ is the fact that he rose from the dead. But I want you to see that there is great glory in the fact that there was a tomb. That, that tomb, that, 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 that prison, if you will, it, it is what, what gave us the vision for what God was trying to do. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says that, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so too, so too was Jesus in the tomb. And everybody's like, well, why is that good? 
Why is that good? Because it is the glory of God manifest for each and every one of us that even though we are in the tomb, that there is hope on the other side, that there's an opening, an awakening, an ability for us to come to God, that the tomb comes open, that it all depends on our perspective and what we see and how we see God. And if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what does. The fact that, 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 that Jesus came out of the grave is, is wonderful and great and glorious and all that. But he was in the tomb for three days. He was in the tomb for three days. And what's the big deal about that? There was hope. There was hope that the door was going to open. There was hope that Jonah was going to come out of the fish. There was hope that whatever situation you're in, that there's going to be something that God is going to show you, he's going to do through you, he's going to awaken you to, and you're going to be closer to God as a result of it. That is the glory of the tomb. That is the glory of being in the fish. Is that, God, that Jonah was able to see God. He was able to see God. What about you in your life? The difficult time. Are you able to see God? Are you able to rest in the hope that one day the doors are going to open? That one day all the, the garbage is going to be put to the side. It's going to be you and God. That you're going to be close to it. Don't miss the opportunity to be close to God in prison. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's a guy by the name of Chuck Colson. He started a prison ministry. He started a prison ministry because he was in prison. He was an advisor to Richard Nixon. And he got actually thrown into prison because of his involvement in Watergate. Some of you young guys don't know what Watergate is. That's fine. You can go look it up. Google it. You got Google. He got thrown in prison. He was there for seven months. He actually served in Maxwell Prison down in Montgomery, Alabama. He served there for seven months. He became a Christian in 1973, and then he actually went to prison in 1974. Went to prison in 1974 after becoming a Christian in 1973. Well, why wouldn't God rescue him from being in prison if he was a Christian now? Well, maybe Chuck Colson had something to learn. Maybe Chuck Colson had something that God was trying to show him in prison. It says that Chuck Colson became a Christian in 1973. His midlife conversion to Christianity sparked a radical life change that led to him founding his nonprofit ministry, Prison Fellowship, and to focus on Christian worldview, teaching, and training. That's what it says about a place that he visited in Brazil. Humaitá Prison in Brazil, that's Portuguese, it's in Brazil, is a remarkable place, he writes. Almost 20 years ago, it was a rotting building where prisoners were tortured. Then three Christian men went to the government and asked permission to take over the prison. They got permission, and they started to run Humaitá as a Christian prison. They did not restrict to Christian inmates, but you couldn't stay there very long without coming to know Christ. He says, it's an extraordinary prison, different from anything any of us have ever experienced. Inmates open the doors. They have the keys. Security, as we understand, is totally compromised. When an inmate needs to leave the premises to go to court, the, inmates, the inmate is, is, is escorted by other inmates. The staff is made up entirely of volunteers. It is overseen by the judge responsible for all the prisons in that area, and the judge is support, supported because the prison is incredibly productive and stable. So inmates leading other inmates is what this prison is all about. It's a Christian prison. They have the keys. They can leave whenever they want to. 
He says, it's the cleanest prison I've ever seen, Colson said. The cleaning schedule is established and carried out by the inmates. We asked inmates why they stayed when they could just walk away. Some have been assigned to other prisons and tried to, for years to get assigned to this one because they believed they could easily escape. But one inmate expressed the reason for his presence eloquently. When I walked into this prison, they took off the handcuffs of steel and replaced them with the handcuffs of love. They assign people to a buddy system. Each new inmate is assigned to an elder who loves the Lord. And every single meal, they stand before the meal and recite the Lord's Prayer in Portuguese. If anyone ever asks whether Christ makes a difference, send them down to San Jose do Campos in Brazil, the Humatai prison. For all those years, while the, Brazilian, while the government of Brazil had a, a 74% reoffending rate, this means that the people that go and go back to prison, it's 74% in Brazil. Humatai has realized more than 300 inmates, and they've had only 12 come back. That's 4% reoffending rate. Colson goes on to say, one inmate showed me Humatai's secret. This inmate was convicted for murder, but he was my guide through the prison walking around with all the prison keys hanging from his belt. He asked whether I'd like to see the maximum security cell. So we walked down a long hall of steel doors toward the cell in question. He said it used to be the punishment cell where they tortured people. We still use it for punishment, he said. We have one inmate in there. He took me to the door and looked through the little peephole. Are you sure you want to go in there, he asked. He said, I've been in maximum security holes all over the world. I told him, I, I want to see. He said, okay, and then unlocked the door. As the door swung open, I, lo I looked in and saw a couple of chairs and a dim light and flowers on a table. I saw, to the right, I saw a crucifix, Christ, hanging on the cross. My guide pointed to the image of Christ and said, This is the prisoner who's taking the punishment for all of us. A sign on the wall above the crucifix said, We are together in Portuguese. They understand that they are joined with Christ who suffered. He's taking the punishment for all of us. He's taking the punishment for all of us. Though you may feel isolated, though you may feel alone, though you may feel like there's nobody else, there is Christ. The anthem that we have been singing in here for, the, for this series is a statement by Martin Luther. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And that is the message that we've been hanging on to. The fact that Christ, he's the one in the prison cell. He's the one taking the punishment that we all deserve. Because of that, we have freedom even if we're in prison. Even if we feel like we're in bondage, God is using that for his glory and for his message. And to do nothing but to draw us close to him. 
So don't miss that golden opportunity to draw into Christ. Don't sit idly by and let it pass you and say, I'm in prison and maybe one day when I come out, then I'll come to Jesus. No! Do it now while you're still in prison. While you still have the clarity to be able to see God and taste God and touch God. While he's right there and you might be able to grab onto the hem of his garment. While you are in prison, grab a hold of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the testimony of Jonah and the fact that he was in the belly of the fish. God, we know that that served a purpose. It was absolutely for the purpose of drawing Jonah to you. And Lord, he did that. He repented and he turned towards you. God, he wasn't a perfect man. He was an idiot by all standards. But God, you were able to use that man because you showed him grace and you turned him towards you. God, you rescued him out of the depths of the sea. God, you swallowed him up with a fish. And though it may have looked awful to be in the belly of that fish, God, you were rescuing him. And there are people here, they feel like this is an awful place that I am in, and they don't realize that you're rescuing them. They don't realize that there is a purpose and a plan for every single thing that happens. So God, help them to see that you are rescuing them. Help them to see that the fact that you are calling them to you, you are, you are showing them who you are through the place that they're in. God, we so desperately need you. God, we can't even comprehend how much we need you. But God, we just trust in you. We have faith in you. We say yes to you and, and no to ourselves. And God, I just, I just pray that we cling to you. We, we cling to the cross right now. In desperation, we would just come to you and come to your glory and just simply fall at your cross and say, God, I need you. God, whatever that looks like for the people in this place, I pray that they would just be obedient to you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and how you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will everyone please stand?